Infirmary Media. In decades, the Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Who coach your popping pins, dropping hand grenades? Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet in sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios, it's the adult only retro game show where the 80s and 90s battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. I am Mark James, and welcome back to Dueling Decades. This week, duelers, we flip the script in a special April Fool's edition of our show where we roll back our competitors' years. First off, originally representing 1997 and now trucking with 1979, it's Man Crush. What's up? I actually wish I had. 1997 because going back to 1979 it's a lot fucking different i'm sure brent noticed the same thing when he goes through his just doing the research and everything else right at 1980 there is a cliff and it's you fall off the side like the research is completely different it's pretty nuts didn't think it was gonna be that difficult but it kind of was but yes march 1979 let's do this shit and his opponent, originally representing 1986, and now a go going with 1968. Please welcome back to the show, Brent Han from the Hysteria 51 podcast. What is up, gentlemen? And yeah, it was a, a very different animal this week of doing the research. I did find stuff. It was a little bit harder, and you're right. Uh, it is not nearly as easy as the 80s and especially the 90s when Hell, a lot of it I can just go back and remember <laughs> or yeah, think sir. about. <laughs> well, that, so. uh, that's what kind of like makes those dates fun for us. And I was a little bit more fortunate than you. I have 79. I was born 78. Yeah. Obviously, I don't remember anything from when I was one unless it was a, like a holdover. You know, just like the two decades that we always deal with. I know the shit. Right. And even if I don't know it well, I know it well enough where I'm like, ah, I remember that. In this case, I'm reading stuff. Even that one-year difference, I was just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> so it, this is going to be an interesting episode for sure. What is this, the Dark Ages? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'll tell you this. The 70s, like, now I get it, and which was actually kind of fun with this. I use newspapers.com, and uh, I had to go, like, day by day through a, a newspaper. And I would just go through, and I would read article after article after article, and I was going from, like, I think it was Philadelphia Daily News or the Bulletin, whatever the fuck it's called, and then the Daily News in New York. All those crime dramas like Death Wish and things like that, that was the 70s. Reading these stories, I was sending them to uh, Mike Ranger last night, and he was just like, dude, that's fucked up. Stop sending them to me. And I'm like, eh, a couple more. I'll send you a couple more. It, and there yes, was the Death nuts. Wish slash Dirty Harry genre. Yes. Like everyone was in that mind, you know. Kill them all, let God sort them out, you know, kind of shit. And uh, Mark made a good point when I was telling him about it last night. As far as, like, the media went, they didn't give a shit about what they wrote. Like, they were very blunt about the stuff that happened. You know, it wasn't wasn't very easygoing, so. Different world now. Yeah. And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So tonight's judge needs no introduction, as he has received three Grammy nominations as the frontman for the band Guns N' Roses. Please welcome to the show, Axl Rose. Now, 
Just kidding, guys. It's me. I'm judging this one. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Duelers, don't flip your wig. This'll be a total gas as we play more Dueling Decades. All right, guys, so for this special April Fool's edition of our show, we flipped the years 79, 68. So I brought a cassette to flip for this one. I got a uh, Jimi Hendrix cassette here. Brett Hand, you're going to call it in the air. Would you like side A or side B? Oh, let's go B. B sides, baby. B sides. Woo! It is side B. Oh, I feel. Brent Hand, you win the toss. What category would you like to go with first? First, I'd like to thank the Academy. And uh, no, um, since I said Academy, let's go. Uh, no, let's do TV. Let's go TV first. My man. <laughs> so yours is as strong as mine. <laughs> I was actually I was looking at that while he was talking before, and I'm like, TV looks pretty solid for the first round. <laughs> this should be a really good one. All right, so uh, my first one, March 14th, 1968, a little show called Batman, or Batman 66, as it's been called, uh, airs its final episode. The 120-episode run on the ABC network uh, covered three seasons from January 12th of 66 to, like I said, March 14th of 68. Uh, It actually used to be twice weekly for the first two and weekly for the third season, and if you guys remember, in 2016, they ranked it as the 82nd greatest American television show of all time by you know people I'd never heard of. But uh, <laughs> it's known, if you guys remember it, for its camp style. It was super upbeat theme song. Remember the bang, pow, and yep. thwap, and all that stuff when they hit people? It was intentionally humorous, and like morality on it was super simple. You know, they... They targeted teens and they, you know, uh, told them the importance of using seatbelts and doing homework and eating vegetables and drinking milk and things like that. It's just a wholesome, fun TV show. And it came to an end March 14th, 1968. Wow. it's a solid one. And then for number two, uh, we're, we're ending things a lot. So my number two is also an ending. Lucille Ball ended her second situational comedy series. The Lucy Show, with its 144th and last original episode. And unlike other sitcoms of that era, The Lucy Show was actually filmed in front of a live studio audience, which was standard practice at the time, uh, was actually to film in a closed set and add a laugh track, and they actually added in the live studio audience, which is now, how, how many shows can you think of as such and such was filmed before a live studio audience? Yeah. You, know, you think about that. And in that year, the year that it ended uh, in 68, it actually won or was nominated for several awards, including 
outstanding comedy series, outstanding lead actress in a comedy series, outstanding supporting actor in a comedy series, and outstanding writer for a comedy series. So uh, it's not I Love Lucy, but it was uh, hugely popular for the time and won a lot of awards. All right, solid picks, Brent. Man Crush, over to you. What do you got for this retro TV edition? Oh, man, what, what do I have? Let's see. Uh, March 13th, 1979. <laughs> uh, we got a spinoff from a popular ABC series that I actually thought this one made the series less fun for me. I'm not going to beat around the bush on this one. So Three's Company was the original show, and ABC thought it would be a good idea to have this spinoff called The Ropers. So they took off Norman Fell and Audrey Lindley, and they replaced them with the Furleys. I and I got nothing against the Furleys, like Don Knotts and all that. I thought he was he was great, but Mister Roper was the fucking man, dude. His creepy <laughs> looks, always checking out the girls, and like his quirky behavior. His wife never getting any, like it's, it was a good part of the show. But anyhow, this show it began on March thirteenth, nineteen seventy nine. The Ropers. It would only last for two seasons before they pulled the plug in nineteen eighty. This is a shitty thing though that happened with this one. ABC actually told Norman Fell who didn't want to do this show in the first place, he did not want to leave Three's Company, that they could come back to Three's Company if the show got canceled after one season. Well, they left it on for a season and a half, so they just screwed them oh. over and could, didn't bring them back. And then they they ended up bringing back the Ropers for like one episode to just kind of like give them a spot, you know? But yeah, totally fucked them by doing that because they tried to give them their own show. But I love the Ropers, so can't kill too much nice all right what do you got for your second selection all right my second one then now this is a little bit like what brent was saying with his picks before i think we're gonna see this a lot like some weird behaviors like how he was saying like batman was on twice a week and then you had like the lucy show which was like the lucy mm-hmm. of all show kind of like mine with the ropers but then the second pick it's like that as well. Uh, March 2nd, 1979, we got the end of an era here. And don't cry because it didn't last that long. And it ended up coming back to television in 1984. And it's been going strong ever since with a contract that's ending in 2022. As long as their host, uh, of course, stays healthy. Uh, but back in 1964, the great Merv Griffin, he created a show that would become the second most popular TV game show by the end of that decade. So by the end of the 60s, this game show is huge. They're going strong into 1973. And then NBC says, you know what? Let's try to get a new demographic in here. So let's move it from noon where it's like going nuts. And we'll put it on a little bit later. See what happens. Well, that killed the show and uh, people stopped watching it. So NBC pulled the plug on the show in 1975, but then they ended up bringing it back in 1978 because the demand was high. I guess all the old timers who missed it at noon wanted to see it again. So now they named this show. The all-new Jeopardy, hosted by the original Jeopardy host, Art Fleming. It would only last for a season, but the one thing it did carry over into the next uh, portion of the show, that whole elimination of the lowest-scoring contestant after the first round, that is what they added to the show for this. Uh, Big things, man. And uh, it also featured the song Frisco Disco as the theme song. Just a sign of the times, and you're going (laughs) to see it pop up a lot in this 1979 I didn't think it'd be true, but it is. Disco is going to be huge, baby. <laughs> uh, anyways, as we all know, they brought this one back in 1984 uh, with Alex Trebek, and they haven't looked back since. Um, if you put all the years together of the show, 
Jeopardy is actually the longest running game show ever with close to 10,000 episodes nudging out the prices wow. right by like seven yeah. or 800 episodes or something like that. With a plumber and an architect, <laughs> both with a PhD. Remember that from Weird Al? Yeah. <laughs> Jeopardy. <laughs> I was tense. I was nervous. <laughs> Sorry. That was great. I'm glad somebody else could sing on here except for me. Uh, but yeah, those are my two. So we got the end of Jeopardy uh, in 1979, over, only to bring it back once again in 1984. And then the Ropers. Great spinoff. Great. Huge. All right, guys. So let's take a look at these rounds. 1968, Brent, you come with uh, the end of Batman 66 and the end of the Lucy show. Not I Love Lucy, but the Lucy show. In color. In color. (laughs) (laughs) So you know it's good. See, I absolutely loved Batman 66. I The first time I ever saw it was in elementary school. We had like a school fair and like one of the teachers hung up a white sheet and brought a projector and set up chairs and made a little like makeshift movie theater in the hall. And it was the coolest thing I had ever seen at that time. And I had fallen in love with Batman 66. Even years later in the 80s, 90s, when the other Batmans came out, There's just something about that 66 feel, that campiness. Like you said, the automatopoeia that comes up on the screen, the pows. That stuff is just awesome. There's just something nostalgic about that for me because it was bringing a comic book back to life. Yeah. You know, it looked like a comic book. It was campy like a comic book, but it was on TV. So something cool about that. Did anybody anybody mention Adam West at all? We have to at least say his But yeah, I mean... I didn't want to go into one the time. Whole cast. If you start with the cast of that show, where do you stop? You know, Adam West. Right. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Burgess Meredith. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's yeah. Eartha Kitt. I mean, it just goes on Kitt, and on. Yep. It's it's amazing. It's such a great show. Uh, Lucy. My wife was a huge Lucy fan. I'm not the biggest Lucy fan, so. All right, so we'll move on to Man Crush 1979. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going to leave it at that. You know, I understand, like, Lucy's significance and everything, but eh, it's not my bag. I can't say that I've watched a lot of Lucy. So that's where my expertise ends. Once Mark figured out she had red hair on that colored version, he was like, I'm out. (laughs) Oh, fuck no, man. I would have watched more of it then if I knew (laughs) 1979 man crush you bring the ropers the start of the ropers like you i totally agree with you roper great character i love don knotts too so i was equally as happy when don knotts came in but man different yeah they were two different cats i wish we could have had a season or two with both at the same time like that would have been pure magic like one was uptight and the other one was just like a perv yeah. It's like Diane and Rebecca. Yeah. yeah. Two great characters, both fill the same slot, opposite <laughs> ends of the spectrum. Got or got their slot filled by the same guy. One or the other. Is that where you're going? <laughs> and then uh you bring up the roots of Jeopardy. You know, the the original start of Jeopardy and then the end of Jeopardy. So your pick was the end of it of the initial start. So the end of the, the first run. The the end of the second run. Oh, the end of the second run. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then it's we're now on the long third run. Yes. Okay. Yes. Just to clarify. All right. That ugh, that makes that this a little dodgy for me. 
because I would definitely want to lean towards Jeopardy on this one because I've actually watched more episodes of Jeopardy, I think, than I have Batman 66. But we're looking at the, the second incarnation, the short-lived incarnation But this brought the elimination round. It did, and it does have the roots, like I said. <laughs> there's roots to it. I just don't know if there's legs. This is the end of Batman 66. It's the last we ever got. We really never got any more of it. So like you said, Adam West, that awesome cast. Brent, I got to give you one point for the first round. You have control of the board. What category you want right. to go with? Uh, let's go movies for uh, category two. Movies. Uh, so my first pick, March 18th of 1968, was a American satirical black comedy film written and directed by Mel Brooks. Starring uh, Zero Mostel, Gene Wilder, Dick Sean, and Kenneth Mars. Film about a theater producer and his accountant who they come up with this scam to have uh, put on the stage the worst stage musical they could create. And this was also Brooks' directorial debut, and he won an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. Of course, I'm talking about the producers. And then 25 years later, the film was selected uh, pre for preservation in the National Film Registry and placed 11th on AFI's 100 Years 100 Laughs list. And it was later adapted, of course, by Brooks again into a stage musical. And then they turned that into a film uh, not too long ago that was really good. It was actually a really good uh, remake of it. And that was with Will Ferrell. And with, um, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm blanking Matthew on the names. Uh, Ferris Bueller. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just call him Ferris Bueller. Fuck it. Yeah. Matthew Broderick. And uh, yeah, so it was a fantastic, fantastic. Just a crazy premise, too. Let's make the most racist, horrible thing we can think of and lose money on it. And then it turns into a, a, a hit just because it's so outlandish. So beautiful Mel Brooks. Uh, the next one was. This one was a little abstract. I, I went different on this one. So there's a this weird little sci-fi movie, and this is something that happened a lot in the 60s and 70s that you don't see happening as much anymore. There's this weird sci-fi movie that was released actually in February, and it was only released at one theater, as they would do at the time. And it had such a huge month of March that they decided to release it nationwide because of the impact that it had. Uh, it was originally only shown at the Capitol Theater in New York City. And the movie was this weird, futuristic adaptation uh, of a book. And it was called The Planet of the Apes. Uh, and it was actually met with critical acclaim and is widely regarded as a classical music and one of the best films of 68. And it was applauded for all of the crazy effects that they did about a world gone crazy. And then there's all the sequels beneath the planet of the apes and escape of the planet of the apes, conquest of the planet of the apes, battle for the planet of the apes. And it's something you don't see much anymore, but it did actually happen recently with a movie that you might've heard of. Jay and silent Bob's reboot was only released on like two screens in the nation. And here's a crazy thing because Jay and silent Bob's reboot only was released like that. It actually beat the Avengers Endgame on per theater revenue for the last year. <laughs> and then that is why it actually, because it did so well, it got this huge other push and then went, uh, you know, direct to, to, to uh, DVD and streaming services because it did so well. 
it's something that we don't really see anymore much of just releasing a movie in a theater and then if it doesn't do any well it just goes away and that's a charlton heston huge movie planet of the apes that uh only did well only was released nationwide because of how well it did in that month wow yeah it's it is definitely interesting when you see and i noticed this in the 80s too when we have it like if you look get like uh anywhere from like 82 to 80 or from anywhere from uh, 80 to like 84 rather you'll see like a lot fewer movies come out because there was a lot less screens oh my god yeah when i yeah. looked up movies there's like four movies yeah came out in a month it's wild That's it, you know yeah, and so, and like this one, it doesn't even, when you go and you look it up, it doesn't even list in a lot of the things as available movie because it was only on this one screen, you know, and so it doesn't even, it's crazy. It's, yeah, it was a totally different so way I got, to So I got lost in that whole abstractness. So it came out in February. It came out the end of February. And, and have and a big be- March. And then so got, at the okay. end of March, they released it nationwide gotcha. because of because of uh, how big it did. So that just because of how big that they did in that month, uh, they they played it on one screen for a month and released it nationwide. You know, it was fun. And I was sending these to Mark last night. Like if there was shit that I was totally not going to pick, I was like, oh, this is fucked up. I'll send it to Mark in uh, the late 70s, especially like 79. If you started looking at the paper where all the movies were. There was lots of porn in there, like Debbie. Porn, porn, Debbie porn. does Dallas, like full ads. What was that one I sent you, Mark? It said it was like woman or a guy that wants to die a woman or something like that. Yeah, I have no clue. Like, and it was a full page ad. Yeah, I couldn't even decipher what it was about. It was so nuts. It was rated <laughs> X. My uncle was a cop slash minister, and they did a huge like four page spread of him in the newspaper. And we have it still. I have it from my parents' house. And it's funny because on the back page, the last half of it is all porn ads for the <laughs> local porn theater. Whoa. Wait a minute, man. You have an uncle who was a cop and a minister, and he shot a yep. four-page spread of porn? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> what? So he, shot, he shot it on a four-page spread of porn. Oh. No, so, no, like, so, yeah. But, yeah, the back page is only, like, half a page, and the bottoms of the movies. And, yeah, like you said, like, half the movies are all... You know, porn porn movies at the this theater or that theater, or this, that, and the other. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the ones that I sent Mark yesterday were uh, Born a Man, All True, All Real, See a Man Become a Woman Before Your Eyes in, Let Me Die a Woman, Rated X, <laughs> full page ad. And then the other one was, uh, it was from a gay theater, and it was called Dune Buddies, and it's a picture <laughs> of two dudes with their shirts off. In a paper in 1979, just like standing together, yeah. like they're like CK models or something. So, in, as we always do when we find obscure titles, we have a game that's been ongoing for years. Is we try to find the lowest number of IMDb votes as you can on a title. Yeah, this one has eight. Mm-hmm. This one might be the <laughs> yeah. lowest I've ever seen. There's eight. You can't really reviews. count it though for like porn though. Because not, not a lot there. of like porn aficionados are going there to review the <laughs> the acting was crisp. I felt immersed in the story. I felt like I was really there. You, you guys are missing the point of this. Eight fucking people went to IMDb and reviewed this <laughs> son of a bitch, and it has a seven point nine on oh. IMDb. <laughs> all is all eight people that were in the movie. <laughs> Anyhow, all right, so let me move on to 1979. Uh, We got March 2nd of 1979. Uh, This one popped up as a mystery sneak preview. 
which uh, to me is kind of cool because the sneak peeks in the 80s, they usually told you like what the movie was. And in this mm-hmm. case, it just showed a picture of George Hamilton, like half face covered with a cape. And I immediately knew what this movie was and I had to pick it. I own this one in RCA disc. I used to watch it all the time. I think they should bring back more mystery sneak peeks, like kind of like they did here. But I mean, nowadays it would be like nearly impossible though to do. You can't do it. Like you can't just have a, an ad that says go to AMC to watch this movie with a silhouette because everybody and their mother would know what it is, which kind of ruins it. But it would be so freaking awesome if that happened again. I, I never got to live through that because the ones I saw in the 80s, they would just announce it. It'd be like, oh, space camp. It's like, oh, yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. But it was cool. You you felt like you're a part of something. So anyhow, uh, this movie, it went on to bring in $44 million at the box office in 1979 which is roughly 100, that's a lot. Yeah, $158 million in 2020. So that's pretty damn good for a comedy, especially for a horror comedy. And it was independently released. It was funded by a dude that was like synonymous with opening shopping malls. So in spite of that, it was actually one of the highest grossing indie films for many years until obviously the 90s and the whole indie boom, which all those movies were making like you know $400 million or some crazy shit. But just to show a sign of the times, there's a disco scene in this movie, making this one of three disco vampire movies in 1979, uh, along with Nocturna and uh, Dracula Blows His Cool, which is not a porno. I had to check on that one. <laughs> it's not. Uh, but this is, of course, the uh, the George Hamilton, uh, Susan St. James, Bella Lugosi spoof. Love at first bite. Yeah. On a mystery sneak peek, major motion picture sneak peek. So awesome. You know, I did, I went to a sneak peek a couple years ago. Uh, we had one in Chicago. We got tickets we didn't know what it was going to be for. And uh, we went, and it was World War Z, and Ooh. Brad Pitt was there and introduced it. We had no idea. Was no shit. That's fucking cool. Yeah. See, like stuff like that needs to happen, but it has to happen. Not just you like also in... have no idea what you're going to go see and shit like yeah. that. So it's harder to. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but if it's a drama, I'll just fucking leave. I'll be like, oh, what is it? Right. 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 Who was there? <laughs> Brad Pitt. What's he been in? Have I seen anything he's been in? <laughs> friends. He you know what? Friends? Um, you know, he was in some independent <laughs> stuff in the late 80s. Yeah. You know, you might have seen him in something with Susan Sarandon. No, he was in 21 Jump Street, bro. <laughs> oh, all right. You might remember him. He was a surfer. He was in Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> Who hasn't? All right. So the other one I got, uh, March 30th, 1979. And uh, today is March 30th. So this is the 41st anniversary for this one. Uh, and I could have selected some boring ass Oscar nominated movie, but I decided to go this route instead. Uh, this movie is actually a television show. And it was going to debut on NBC in September of 1979. And this, in essence, is the pilot for the series. And I'm not just making that up. Universal actually did that and made this the pilot of the series. They didn't want to put it on TV. They were like, oh, let's put it in the box office, see what we can get from it. And not too shabby for a pilot. They brought in $22 million at the box office. It's about $84 million in 2020 on a $4 million budget. And uh, matter of fact, <laughs> to save money, Universal reused a lot of the footage and props from 1978's uh, Battlestar Galactica for this one. Really? See, I'm looking at your faces, seeing if, if you guys even know where I'm going yet. Well, I, I thought I had an idea until then. Then you fucking <laughs> yeah. threw that wrench in there. 
All right, well, it'd be interesting to see what you thought it was. But the uh, the show and the movie, they're both based upon a character that was created in 1928. Uh, it would be a hit comic book, and it was actually the first science fiction radio program ever that debuted in 1932. Oh. Uh, so this was literally, it's been around forever. It's science fiction classic that features William Anthony Rogers, or as he's more commonly known as Buck Rogers in the 25th century. I haven't seen this one in like when I was doing this, I was like, God, I haven't seen this in like 20 years. Do you remember like it's like 1987 or whatever it's supposed to be? And he gets like frozen in space for like 500 years. Hmm. Do you remember this movie? I mean, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but yeah. Oh, dude, it's it was so good back then. I used to have uh, what was the, the talking guy that he had with him? Like his little R2D2 guy, Queaky or. I don't know. Ah, oh, dude. I can picture him. I just can't remember the name. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, those are the two I got. So we got a Love It First Bite and Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Now, to be outdone by Love It First Bite, my wife and I this week watched My Best Friends of Vampire from 87. Was there disco in it? Uh, there was no disco, but there was cheesy uh, 80s vampire <laughs> stuff. So that's awesome. Nice. Wow. You guys brought it for this round. I don't know, man. These are just some hefty picks. Disco vampires, man. Oh, you're hitting a soft spot for me. <laughs> it's 1979, man. If you haven't noticed, everything is disco. Jeopardy had Frisco Disco as their theme song, bro. <laughs> and then, uh, Man Crush, you also come with Buck Rogers. Let me rephrase that. That sounded a little weird. <laughs> man Crush, your second selection was Buck Rogers. I can't say that I've actually ever seen any Buck Rogers. Tweaky, Tweaky, that was his Tweaky, name. Yeah, sorry, okay. I knew it was something yeah, weird just, like that. The robot. Sorry, sorry, it just dawned on me. So when I think of Buck Rogers, the only thing I can think of is when I was in elementary school, there was always something on the menu at least once or twice a month called Buck Rogers Bake, and really what it was <laughs> was macaroni with hamburger and spaghetti sauce you know like american chop suey or macaroni as most people would call it and then they would mash the fuck out of it so they would wow. overcook the noodles and then mash everything together it was the most disgusting thing ever how did they do that with their hand again they, they like mashed it up and down <laughs> oh damn. long stroking motions <laughs> i don't know if i'd eat that so let's go over to brent 1968 you have the producers and Planet of the Apes, man. Now, see, I'm going to admit a little uh, pulp culture sin here. I caught on to the producers way late. Didn't actually get into the original until I saw the remake. So that's a little blasphemous there. Planet of the Apes. That's another one that's on my pop culture sin list. I've never seen all of Planet of the Apes, any of them. I've always wanted to. I think it's one of those movies that has a bigger impact than people actually, you know, everyone knows about it. Not everyone's yeah. seen it. And I was just telling my son about this movie last night, matter of fact, which is so weird. But it's one of those things where I'm like, all right, if I'm going to watch it, you got to watch the whole series all at once. Get the big picture. And I've never broken down and bought them all. And they've never been all on streaming at the same time. So I haven't gotten there yet. So it's a little hard for me to judge that round based on the quality of that movie, but I do have to take into effect that it did technically come out in February 1st mm -hmm. and then got its worldwide release. So we're going to judge it upon the worldwide release. 
Um, so it's kind of like a secondary release. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but the producers was the first release, and that movie was absolutely monster. Mel Brooks was a madman. His comedy was just pure genius. Uh, I, I love the producers. Just the the tone, the sarcasm, you know, all the Nazi shit. That's fucking hilarious. We joke about the things that upset us the most, and I think Mel Brooks captures that brilliantly. So, man, this one, and whew, I keep going back to those disco vampires. I might have to check that one out. Now, is Hamilton as orange in this one as he is in everything else? Oh, he's I've always orange, dude. He's he's fucking leather, bro. <laughs> oh yeah, and he's and he's got the the god awful suit, uh, the vampire suit. I can see the whole poster. Oh, yep, not the vampire. You know the yeah. the, the black, uh, the, the cape with the you know the all yeah. the the red sashed. Uh, whatever thing hanging down. And, and yeah. this whole movie came about because they were hanging out. I forgot the guy's name who. Uh, who's like directed or whatever, but, uh, or produced it, but they were hanging out at his pool with George Hamilton and Hamilton was just like, I mean, he was probably drunk or on Coke or some shit. And they were in the pool and he was making uh Bella Lugosi. He was talking like he was Bella Lugosi. And that's how they came up with this fucking movie. They're like, God, that's really good. Wow. Let's make a movie. And then they called this the mall guy and look what happened. All right. So ruling on this round, this one's going to be, quite difficult to rule on, but I got to look at it from this unique perspective. This may be the only time in the history of this program that disco vampires is going to come up. We might have another chance of planet of the apes coming up, but in the end, I got to go with man crush on this one because of the technicality of the planet of the apes. No, I think that's fair. Man yep. crush had two releases within the time frame where you did only have one, even though, you know, one of those releases, the producers, is just a monster release. I got to go to Man Crush, give him the point, and control the board. What category are we going with for our next round? Um, This is tough. I, you know what? Let's go Hot Products. Because <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not, you know what? It's, it's not that they're bad. I think just like when you do the, the 80s and the 90s, we have such an idea of, oh, this is a very powerful round. This is not... And this, I just kind of feel like everything is like even keel, you know? All right. So hot products. We got uh, the first one, March 29th, 1979. And this is two months prior to the release of the movie. Uh, Alan Dean Foster. He releases the first movie novelization of the classic movie franchise Alien. Uh, This was the it was a bestseller in 1979. And it's uh, it's totally different than any uh, movie novelizations that you'd find these days. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever read a, mu- a movie novelization, but like these days, they basically just take the script, plop it in a, in book form, and yeah. there it is. Uh, this one, and one of the reasons I picked this is actually because I own this in elementary school. It's not like a total ripoff of the movie. There's actually there's character development in this one. There's like all the good stuff you get from the book. You get like the character. They they have like characters' thoughts. There's actually they even go through parts where there's like deleted scenes that didn't make it to the movie were actually in this book as well. And this guy that, that wrote this, Alan Dean Foster, he basically writes all the horror fiction uh, novelizations. He's done Star Trek, Star Wars, Alien, Terminator, Transformers. I think he even did fucking Alien Nation. But yeah, this is for uh, Ridley Scott's classic Alien, which ended up coming out in May. So it's two months away from this movie, and you got to read the fucking book. So that's why it's pretty hot. And then let's move on to my second one. Uh, this one's a comic book, March 1979. We don't have an actual 
day of the release. Uh, but I haven't dug through comics in a few months and I figured 1979 perfect time to do so. I have a lot of comics from that time period in my collection, uh, especially trying to find things like pre 1980. It's a lot more difficult. Like I was saying before than I thought, especially for products trying to find things like, especially I always try to look towards electronics and things like that. Horrible to find horrible to find dates. So in this one, we got the Avengers number 181. And in 1979, you can grab the issue for a whopping 35 cents, which is a dollar 39 in 2020, which is still pretty damn good for a comic book. Yeah. Cause what a comics cost these days, like five mm-hmm. bucks, three and four. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, but if you got this one, you'd be greeted by a really cool George Perez cover. It features pretty much the entire Avengers crew. And uh, they're getting told by uh, Agent Jirek the Avengers had to go to seven Avengers and the rest of them were going to be kicked out. The name of this one was actually called, the title rather, On the Matter of Heroes is the storyline. Cupbacks, baby, we can't afford you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, basically, the government told the Avengers that they needed to do a like cut back their membership uh, to keep the security clearances because they couldn't cover everybody. Uh, so spoiler alert, this is who he tells them. Uh, he says that, uh, it's Iron Man, Captain America, Vision, Scarlet Witch, Beast, Wasp, and Falcon, who Falcon wasn't even part of the, uh, the Avengers at that time. And which caused a big, like shit storm and whatever during this, uh, this whole comic, but that's not even the biggest part of this one. It's actually, it's the first appearance of Scott Lang, whom, uh, everyone knows now because of the movies becomes mm-hmm. Ant-Man and then uh he becomes Ant-Man in April of 1979 in Marvel Premiere 47. So that's kind of a pretty big deal there. He's the uh, the second takes over for uh for Pym and becomes uh Ant-Man. Pym was too busy at that time beating his wife and stuff like that. <laughs> Which is what they did in the 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 comics. It was the 70s. Just, it was know. that that Coke and disco. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah I mean, that's what it was. But yeah, that's what I got. So I got the novelization of uh, the first alien and then we got the Avengers number 181. All right. So my first one was March 14th of 1968. Saw the nationwide introduction of something that we all still use to this day. And it, it came out three days before the start of National Poison Prevention Week. It was a new type of container that had been developed in Canada and tested in Tacoma, Washington, and they launched it on March 14th. The child-proof cap uh, went nationwide then. Uh, They found that local pediatricians had determined that their children couldn't open the bottle unless they taught them how to push down on it first. Boom, they they tested it for uh, a six-month period, and they went from 50 cases the previous time to only three. So that March 14th, 1968 saw the release of child proof caps and parents flocked and everyone wanted it. So whoever patented it was smart because then pretty much everyone started using that style cap on everything. Yeah. It's weird to think of something like that. You, you kind of take for granted. I can't open my high C. Right. And now <laughs> it's funny when I go to buy stuff, I'll look for the, uh, arthritis caps just so i don't have to deal with it because they just unscrew on and just, off well now they got they're cool like you can flip the cap upside down and it's a regular spin on the other right side. right if you get your regular medicine absolutely yep. so the, my next one is a huge one that month i don't have the exact day but march of 1968 
saw the nationwide introduction of something that was created in Uniontown, PA, just a year before, tested, and it tested so well, that they released it nationwide in March of 1968. Uh, It cost a whopping 49 cents, and it was two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, onions, pickles, all on a sesame seed bun. The Big Mac was released nationwide on March of 1968. And, uh, yeah, just a, a dude in Uniontown, PA, had created it at his own McDonald's, and they're like, holy shit. <laughs> people really like this and they released it for 49 cents and now it's you know uh we've had the the big mac the big mac jr the michael jordan big mac which now is like the big mac xl they're bringing it back which is four patties if you want to you know <laughs> be that kind of glutton so yeah the big mac the motherfucking big mac god like it seems like you were in a time where they were still like making stuff and Everyone was getting along and everyone was getting. You had disco. I had disco, <laughs> coke, and everybody was getting stabbed and raped. So 1968 is considered like one of the worst fucking years of all time. I just missed it all. <laughs> the assassination of Robert Kennedy, the assassination of Martin Luther King, you know, the Lyndon John. I mean, there's so many things we'll go over. I'll even be going over some of these. Like 68 was a crazy year, but March, not so much. <laughs> All right, so let's take a look at this one. We got the childproof cap and the Big Mac. Wow. Yeah, these are the push down and turn style. That's the the first. Oh, you know. fuck those things, man. Oh, those things are a pain in the ass. So you might get negative points for bringing up that <laughs> fucking thing. Someone got made a lot of money. Man Crush, <laughs> the uh, Alien book in 1979. That's interesting. I didn't know about that, but you know. You said it came out, what, two months before the release of the movie? March 29th. And it had all those extra scenes. If I was a huge Alien fan and I was anticipating this movie and I read the book and then, like, all that shit's cut out in the movie, I would have been a little disappointed. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's not, like, everything. (laughs) But there's there's other stuff that – there's drawbacks, too. So you still want to see the movie. Like, H.R. Geiger didn't design the Alien – until after he read the script. Obviously, this is probably like an early version of the script, so it didn't even have the full H.R. Geiger, what it looked like. You know what I'm saying? So there's pros and cons to it. Yeah. And then uh, you have the Avengers 181. That's a huge issue right there. It's the first Scott Lang. Everybody loves Ant-Man now. It's a very topical issue. And you're describing the whole first part of that. And all I can think of is that scene in Avengers where they're all sitting down and they're discussing the Synovia Accords. Mm-hmm. It's like the red tape issue. You know, it's like, all right, we're gonna, they're going to slash our funding and we got to do... It's like probably the most boring comic book you ever read. But lo and behold, it's one of the more important ones. It's the debut of a legendary Marvel character. So you got the debut of two really big things. The Big Mac... An Ant-Man, which I guess really isn't very big to begin with. Well, he, he could be. He could be. He could be Giant Man. <laughs> so, And then we have the alien book and the childproof cap. That's a tough one to pick, you know. But you know what? At the end of the day, Brent Hand, I got to give you the point because the childproof cap, I'm sure it did save lives of some children. As frustrating as it is to me personally, it does save lives of children. So... <laughs> Yeah, I got to give it to that one. 
So, Brent, you get the point. You get control of the board heading into our first two-point round. But think about how many stupid adults it probably killed because they couldn't open their cap. <laughs> Help me. Probably a- it balance itself out. <laughs> Maritis. Well, see, that's the other side of it, man. You know, I, I want to believe that it has saved more lives of children <laughs> than frustrated old stoners. So we'll just call it that. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck these pills. Can't open them. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's go music on this one. Uh, my first one was March 25th uh, in the world of music, the 58th and final original episode of a TV show aired on NBC in the United States. The series had premiered on September 12th of 1966, and a historian would later write, uh, though... This show boasted some great individual musicians. It was their television show that rocketed the group to a whole new level of superstardom, though I don't know if I would call it superstardom. But, of course, the show I'm talking about, The Monkees, it was its final episode. Only 58 episodes. Yeah. And the thing about it is it was in rerun hell or heaven or whatever you want to call it because it I, when i was a kid it was on all the time 86 and i remember thinking the monkey mobile was was so awesome so march 25th the 58th and final episode of the monkeys and then my second one is march 1st a pair got married a pair that had skirted around being uh uh, in love and all this stuff. They're country music royalty, and they they finally walked down the aisle, but many people might say they walked the line. Johnny Cash and June Carter were married in Franklin, Kentucky, finally. And hopefully you've seen the movie Walk the Line, and that kind of tells the entire story of them uh, skirting around and chasing each other and finally coming together. Did they, though? What's that? Did they what? Come together? <laughs> <laughs> how do you so, know yeah how do you know I'm well <laughs> he was there he's that big of a fan <laughs> in, yeah I, in spirit so yeah so i got johnny and june and uh the ending of the monkeys Alrighty, man crush what do you have for 1979 music all right well it's 1979 so march 26 1979 I had to go with this one. It's sign of the times. It would be absolutely criminal if I left it out. It's the fourth album from this band, which is crazy to me that they had fourth album, four albums at this time. Uh, the album peaked at number eight on the Billboard 200. It was uh, literally on every fucking chart around the globe that year, which is not something you always see when you do these episodes. There might be an album that we know in the United States is like a huge album. But then you look at like freaking, I don't know, Bangladesh or something. It's not there. This album, I swear to you, it's it's on like 20 different countries charts, which is just insane. Uh, the album would sell close to 2 million copies worldwide, uh, be certified platinum in the United States. It only had six tracks on it, but it's disco. Wow. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that was acceptable. I don't know. But they had two singles. They had the album's namesake, Go West which ended up uh, being a pretty popular song. And it got covered years later, which was, it, I think it was even bigger when it got covered. And then the other song, uh, In the Navy, which peaked at number three on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, you know, even though I was in the Marines, I wouldn't consider In the Navy one of my favorite tracks. But there's no denying how popular the song is. I mean, obviously, this is the Village People, and the only two songs I know of theirs are YMCA and the Navy. 
uh, both iconic tracks, even if it's ironic. Everyone knows these ones. It's just, it is what it is. So I had to go that route. I probably could have picked some other stuff, but sign of the times. Got to do it. Then my second one, uh, we got March 23rd, 1979. And once again, I get this band. I think I had them a few weeks ago, or was it last week? I like I can't even tell anymore with all this self quarantining <laughs> shit. I like I I honestly don't even know what today is. If I didn't know that uh, the Buck Rogers thing from before, I would know that today is the thirtieth. I, I have no fucking clue what, what even day of the week it is. Uh, but this is this band's second album. Uh, it was released just thirteen months after the successful debut album was released. But unlike my last pick of theirs. This selection is with the band's original lead singer. Uh, the said album would peak at number six on the Billboard 200, which is not too bad for an album that took literally a little bit more than a week to record. Fucking insane. Even though this band is still fairly new at this time, the album went gold after a few weeks, then it went a platinum in May. The beginning of May, I think it was like May 8th is what I read. It went platinum. So not even... A month and a half later, this month, this uh, album was platinum. Uh, we got three singles from this album. We got uh, Someone Get Me a Doctor, Dance the Night Away, which is actually the band's first ever top 20 hit, and then Beautiful Girls. The album would uh, sell well over 6 million copies and be certified five times platinum, which they stopped counting in 2004. So God only knows how many more copies they sold since then. And just to demonstrate how fucking rock and roll this band is, they thanked the Madison, Wisconsin Sheridan Inn, uh, which they destroyed during their 1978 tour. They that was in the inside of the jacket. They gave them a little thank you because they literally destroyed the seventh floor by tossing televisions out of the windows and then fighting one another uh, with fire extinguishers in the hallway. Uh, and of course, they ended up blaming all the debauchery on their uh, their running mates for that tour journey. Right. Uh, and if you haven't put it together, this is uh, Van Halen Two. Is that second album? Was that last week, or was that how many weeks ago was that? When I, I just had fifty one fifty. When was that? I don't remember. Holy man. shit, it's crazy. I think we're like all stuck in the space time continuum at this point. So yeah, for real, everything's the same. Five times platinum. That's five, that a million for platinum in America, right? It, it, is? it is, but they sometimes they, they stop used to do classifying, Diamond, which yeah. is ten million. Right. Yeah, I don't know if they still do any of that stuff. So, anymore. like the RIA, they will. Uh, I guess after a certain point, they'll like recertify it, and then they just kind of give up. And I think nowadays, it's so hard for them to even bother doing it because there's no right. there's no albums or anything that they're selling. They're just selling songs or getting plays on Spotify. So it's how the fuck do you even yeah. figure that out anymore? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's get to the judgment for the music round. You know, this one is actually a pretty easy round for me. You know, I'm going to go man crush on this one. Village People, Van Halen. You can't go wrong with either group. Well, maybe you can. I'm a huge Van Halen fan. (laughs) Village People, eh. You said the only two songs that you know from the Village People are what? YMCA and in the Navy. What about Macho Man? Oh, shit. Well, yeah, yeah that's my favorite is Macho Man. And all their songs sound pretty much the same. Yeah, they yeah. do. Just, just different words. Who's your favorite village <laughs> person? Oh, man, got to go with the uh, probably the Indian. Yeah, I was always a fan of the Indian as well. Brent? My favorite little trope with that is in 
was it Wayne's World 2 where they're all like undercover? <laughs> and you, I didn't even pick up on it when I was watching it the first time until they all come together. And I'm like, oh my God, There's this is hilarious. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Indians just there on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> the construction worker. Yeah. And then, uh, Brent, you had 1968. You come with the monkeys, man. That's a good pick. I was a huge fan of that show. But you know what? It's the second time it's come up on this program. And it's because of when I became a fan of this show was in the 80s. Yeah, that's when it was on huge rotation. Yeah, it it, it was was, monkeys on Sunday. Easy Sundays. It's a weird pick for this program because it's something that was birthed in the 60s, but no one gave a shit about it until the 80s. And then it really found a hardcore Mm. audience. I mean, the monkeys were popular in the 60s and they had their thing, but I think it gained such a a cult following in the eighties that carried it through. Because if you remember after that, they then had the big reunion tour. They all got back together. They actually came out with some, some music that got actually played on the radio again. That was more modern. Sound yeah. That's when I discovered the time. monkeys. You know what? You know, what's crazy. Everything ties together. Cause one of my, it was going to be a news pick of mine, but I didn't, it could have been news or music. I didn't pick it. It was uh Steven stills actually recorded the very first digital recording. In nineteen in March nineteen seventy nine, really? Yeah, so I was gonna pick that, <laughs> and the reason I bring that up is he actually tried out to be in the monkeys and made it like oh, to wow. like the last round, but he didn't he didn't make it. I thought you were gonna say that Stephen Stills covered in the Navy, but nineteen seventy nine, it's crazy times, bro. He might have. You never know, right? And then your other pick, Brent, the marriage of June Carter and Johnny Cash. You know, one of the great love stories in all of music. But, you know, I had to go with Man Crush on this one, like I said, because Van Halen, that's just epic. And for a music round, he actually came with some music. 1968, man. I was really hoping there yeah, would have been I had something a bad month. there. I had a bad month. <laughs> this whole year was great. March, I... I... <laughs> There wasn't much to pick. Not even like a Burt Baccarat album came out or something? <laughs> Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass? Come on, something, dude. So, Man Crush, you pick up the points on this one. All right. Uh, let's go news. I'm going to defer to Brent. It's three to two. We still got – it comes down to the final round, just like yeah. it's been happening the past, like, eight weeks. Well, this is our only last one. Yeah, right? So, news is all that's right. left. Yeah, It's yeah. three to two. It comes down to this final round. All right, you want me to go first, yeah, you said? Yeah, go for it. I'm a little right, hoarse. So my first pick <laughs> is uh, neither of these are great. Uh, they're they're great picks, but they're not uh, they're not feel good ones. Oh. <laughs> uh, the My Lai Massacre shamed the U.S. Uh, American soldiers and Charlie Company brutally killed uh, women, children, and older people in the village of My Lai in March 16th of 68. More than 500 people were slaughtered. Uh, including, like I said, the the young girls who were also raped and mutilated before being killed. And U.S. Army officers covered up the carnage for a year before it was reported in the American press. And this caused a firestorm of international rage. And uh, the, brutality, the brutality of the killings and the official cover-up fueled anti-war sentiment, and it divided the nation over the Vietnam War. This was the big turning point. And it only stopped because... Uh, helicopter pilots realized what was going on. They saw it and they landed and blocked so that the people could get away. And uh, when it was found out, uh, it 
was a huge it was a global outrage it was a global uh, event that just did irreparable harm for the people and that's really started that whole they called them baby killers and all that stuff you remember like you saw in all the every movie you've ever seen this is why uh just this huge massacre and then for my second one president johnson addresses the nation 331 of 68 so the the end of the month he's quoted saying with america's sons of the fields far away with america's future under challenge right here at home with our hopes and the world's hopes for peace and the balance every day i do not believe that i should devote an hour or a day of my time to any personal partisan causes or to any duties other than the awesome duties of this office the president of this country Accordingly, I shall not seek and will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as president. And he said, deuces, I'm out. And uh, he he refused to even be elected for another term. And a lot of it, they say, was because of his stance on the, the war and the, uh, the massacre that had just happened and the huge pressure that they were putting on him. And it shocked the nation. It was a huge thing because Johnson was, you know, the president. And he came on the TV and said, I'm out. I quit. <laughs> and uh, this was pre-Nixon calling it quits, too. So this was a huge thing. He actually came on the TV, though? Yes. It was a, <laughs> he addressed the nation. Yeah. Came all over it. Just, yeah. It all was, over its face, neck, and chest. I had to lighten it up. They, if you would have read the newspaper... Uh, that day, there was an ad for it. Uh, it was rated X. You found out if you read it. <laughs> it was the Dune Buddies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I told you, like, I have two really hardcore solid picks. They are not fun ones. <laughs> Good God. So, yeah, that's my that's my uh, news picks. Thankfully, I let, I let him go first. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Get that shit out of the way. And then everyone died. <laughs> <laughs> but he came on the TV. All right. What do you got, Man Crush? I have March 8th, 1979. We have an article. It's uh, home computer is a new big business. Uh, until recently, the personal computer was merely a lark for computer buffs perhaps the ultimate and sophisticated cho- toys, but reports industry week magazine, which is the longest fucking magazine name I've ever heard, uh, says the technology that enabled manufacturers to make microprocessors so cheaply was too inviting to waste on just fun and games. So about two years ago, personal computer for the home, uh, it debuted when Commodore business machines of Palo Alto, California, combined with video game and hobby aspect to come up with the PET or better known as the pet, the personal electronic translator uh, home computer. They were selling for $795 and blah, 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 blah. They're going through this whole thing, but they're saying in this article uh, sales figures for this fledging industry are hard to come by. Uh, But a 1978 study from Frost and Sullivan Inc. in New York uh, market research firm estimates that sales of home computers rose from 80 million in 1977 to 250 million in 1978 and expects the total reach of 400 million by the end of this year. They'll never catch up. Yeah, so they just keep going <laughs> on and on about this. Uh just by comparison's sake, uh for 2018 just for laptops, uh we did well over 100 billion dollars in just laptops. Wow. That's not counting tablets or desktops right. or anything else. Just one facet of this whole like home uh computer industry and it all starts really like right here you're seeing that development happen you know from that first commodore that came out in 1977 
to the Apple II that came out, and now people are starting to buy these things, and uh, it's starting to snowball. So that's my first story. Uh, my second story, it's uh, March uh, 23rd of 1979. Definitely not coming with, with anything close to what Brent has here, even though this is from Columbia. Uh, it's, a, it's actually a two-part story because in this article, there's a picture of uh, Jacob Javits in, uh, in on the side. And I'll send this to you, Mark, because he's a frightening-looking dude. He's got his mouth wide open. It says, uh, Javits seeks reefer reform. Senator Jacob Javits, uh, Republican New York, and four other liberal senators have introduced legislation to decriminalize possession of small amounts of marijuana under the bill. Uh, possession and use of one ounce or less in the home or in public would be punishable by a $100 civil citation similar to a traffic ticket. Pretty big deal there. But it's paired up side by side with this other article. It says, Bogota to legalize pot. <laughs> I just thought it was funny because one said Bogota to legalize pot and this like sister story that's like right next to it. They call it reefer reform. Right. Um, <laughs> a leading Colombian financer wants Bogota and Washington to legalize marijuana so his country can make in taxes what it loses in vainly trying to stop the spread of an ever more popular drug. <laughs> Mr. Escobar was quoted as saying... <laughs> It's, you know, like, I I hate with some of these newspapers, every time with a news story, I never write anything down. I'm reading the actual news story. And with older newspapers, the spacing fucks me up. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. they'll put, like, a huge gap just to keep it, give it that. To get to the next line Ugh. to fix it. Yeah. It's awful. Oh it is awful to read. Because they were just laying it out in actual, like, font type, like, with, like, stamps. Exactly. And, yeah. yeah. Each letter was a physical tiny mm. little letter that you placed in yeah yeah it really shows before they newspapers went digital it was very difficult to read them oh these are yeah these are horrible uh just to kind of summarize he said the government could have collected nearly the same amount last year if marijuana had been legalized uh i guess this guy's last name is samper samper said 150,000 colombians depend on marijuana for a living and are nearly all small growers or low-level drug runners. He said uh, U.S. traffickers take 80% of the profits and leave Colombia with 100% of the bad image. But yeah, I mean, and then it's legal there. In 2015, uh, President Juan Santos signed legislation that legalized medical cannabis production and domestic use and, ex and uh, exports. And as you know, in the states now, we're getting a state here and a state there and Illinois went legal for recreation. Yeah, would you get January 1st uh, that went legal? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm just, I'm looking at it now. This is 1979. They're talking about it here for Columbia. And you got uh, Jacob Javits, who actually, there's like this huge like marijuana, like con thing at the Javits Center. I think it's like later on this year in like November or something. And it's like the second yeah. year. It's all about like legalization and all this other shit. But yeah, I mean, it all kind of starts right here and it's just snowballing like 41 years later yeah. that it's kind of coming to fruition. And people still say it's, you know, the devil's work, you know, yeah. and keep it away <laughs> and people shouldn't have access to it even for for medical reasons and stuff like that. But thank God for my opiates, Woo! And my booze. you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like they said in this article, they spent one hundred and forty six million dollars to stop cocaine. 
Yeah. When they could have just made $150 million if they just legalized pot. I mean, and look at how much money like Colorado and Washington, all these states are making off the taxes of this. They have like surplus and shit. And when you look at New York, we're in the red on everything and they can't even like legalize it to, to make a couple bucks. All right. So this is 1979. Let's do some revisionist history here. Let's say they legalized cannabis in 1979 in the United States. How different do you think the economy and culture in the 80s and 90s would have ended up turning out if we would have had legalized weed? We'd all be playing naked volleyball on the moon right now <laughs> with Scandinavian broads, you know, and, and teleporting places. But, hey, what do, what do I know? I'll tell you, Miami Vice would have been a much different show. <laughs> <laughs> Start there. Would it have, though? Uh. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure Don Johnson, he would have been wearing fucking flip flops everywhere, and like <laughs> he would have been Matt Riddle. <laughs> yes, please, man. <laughs> Come on, guys, just lay off the coke and smoke some weed. <laughs> <laughs> would have been a way more mellow show. <laughs> Everyone's just like lazy and like, nah, it's fine. Yeah, it's just chill. <laughs> Let's go back to McDonald's. <laughs> Get another Big Mac. Yeah, 49 cents. All right, anyhow, so those are my two stories. They're uh, nothing uh, devastating like Prince. My murder, rape, and mutilation story, yeah, was slightly oh, different. Oh, I could have met your your murder, rape, mutilation. I had, Dude, I had tons of them, and I, I was sending- It was so different, yeah. Oh, dude, like red light bandits who, like, I, just, I think I sent that one to Mark. There was uh, pictures of, like, Ku Klux Klansmen, like, in the street. Yeah just fucking hanging out like dude crazy i'm just upset that i actually had 68 and night not 1963 though that wouldn't have been a thing because march 5th of 63 everyone's new favorite person in the world joe exotic was born so that's i'm just upset that i couldn't work that in somehow into this that sucks yeah but yeah that's what i was saying like the 70s were such a crazy time in culture because things were starting to loosen up how they were in the 50s and 60s but we still had that layer of uh of social bluntness you know it's right before people really started caring what people said in this country and taking offense to things if you read the newspapers things were just blunt you know like this person was mutilated and their entrails were spread all over the pavement i mean it was really graphic you know it's like they were brutally sodomized and you know just the terminology that they used in the papers yeah people don't talk like that anymore here's a perfect example something i sent you last night about the red light bandit who it was only like a week long but this guy like was like raping and killing people or whatever uh so they have a timeline of the shit that he did march 4th a 30 year old secretary testified yesterday that hattenbach sodomized her after threatening to kill her and then held a gun four inches above her left wrist and fired a shot into her arm. When the fuck would you get that much detail? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, journalism has completely changed, where now it's a little more tactful, I think is a nice way to put it. It's a little more professional than just, this is the blunt news. (laughs) Or this, at that time, and this is just a part of a bigger article, but... At that time, according to detectives, the body of Holly Maddox was slowly rotting in a locked steamer trunk in a rear room in the Peloton Village apartment she and Einhorn shared for four years. 
never would read something like that in the no, newspaper. Never. Meanwhile, you know, in the 70s, everyone's just watching it, reading, going, did he come or what? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> I need to know. Yeah, it's fucked up shit. But... Anyhow, what do you... go ahead, Mark. All right. So we take a look at this final round here. Man, Man Crush, you come with uh, the, I guess we'll say the roots of legalized marijuana and uh, the birth of the home computer industry, really, is your two news stories. And then Brent, 1968, you know, you have LBJ deciding he's not going to run and he gives his whole, you know, peace him out, mic drop moment, he takes off. And then uh, the My Lai Massacre and Baby Killers. Wow. You know, we have a saying here on this show that, uh, you know, just don't bring the sadness. That might be the all-time saddest story we've had on Dueling Decades. Hey, it's news. It's news. Did Joe? Did Joe Finley give you that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was on his birthday. <laughs> yeah. And the irony that you come with the My Lai Massacre and Baby Killers in one round, and in the other round you come with Child Proof Cat. Hey, <laughs> everything in moderation. <laughs> I think the Child Proof Cat saved more lives than were massacred. So. I think we're coming out in the positive on this one. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think you're coming out on the positive on this round and on this game, as I got to give this round to Man Crush. You know, the birth of the home computer industry, as infantile as it was in 1979, that's got major legs because it got the public interested in owning technology and something that was new at the time. So I think if that consumer spark wasn't ignited so early, I don't think we would have caught up as quick as we did. And then uh, the roots of legalized marijuana. Again, that's something that was pushed aside, you know, and here we're here 40 years later, and it's finally starting to catch on. It's just one of those cool news stories that you find that's so topical today, you could almost republish it today, and it would it would still hold up. So when it all boils down to it, Man Crush, you take this April Fool's retro battle with 1979. Squeaker. Duelers, let us know what you think about this episode. I know it's a little bit different than what we normally do here on Dueling Decades. It's the first time we've ever dipped into the 60s and the 70s. We've never touched either of those decades. Give us some feedback. Let us know what you think about it. You can get a hold of us on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades, or you can always just head over to DuelingDecades.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Brent Hand, thanks a lot for showing up tonight and bringing the yeah, madness so much. with 1969. 1968 and next time uh give me a one that's not called the year that rocked the world <laughs> and it's just literally everywhere you look that's actually a book about just how 1968 was the worst year when it just needs to be erased from history for the year that rocked the world you didn't bring any rock in the music round so no because it's a huge <laughs> it's a huge chuckle fest as you can see with baby murder and 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 childproof caps so, yeah, fun times you did have the big mac that's true 
Thank you guys for having me. Super uh, appreciative. You're welcome, man. Tell everyone what's going on on the Hysteria 51 podcast. Yeah, Hysteria 51. Every Monday we're pumping out new episodes. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts, and you can just go to Hysteria51.com and find all of our links on there. And right now we are canceling live shows like crazy because of uh, social uh, distancing and everything. So hopefully we're going to get back into that uh later this year but right now uh we're just uh hiding out in our bunkers like everyone else in the world <laughs> good times <laughs> <laughs> right like i said chuckle fest just ni- 1968 2020 both just fun years it's true <laughs> also fun <laughs> all right jewelers well thanks for spending a little bit of time with us i hope we provided just a little bit of escape for you and you can forget about all this shit that's going on in the world all right jewelers so we'll end this episode right here and we're gonna bid you A peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.